0: Acts chapter 16. As you guys are turning there, we're going to be verses 6 to 40 this morning. Acts chapter 16. Actually, let me go and uh, pray for us as well real quick this morning. Father God, we give you great thanks that your love is undeniable, that your purposes are unthwarted. Lord, that that we can find in you a security and a strength and a confidence to know that your plans are best. And Father, I pray this morning, even as we open your word, Lord, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you'd stretch us. I pray that you'd even loosen our grips on our lives and that we could trust you more greatly this morning as we look at this passage. I pray that you'd move and that you'd speak to us in very tangible ways and that you'd allow my words to be yours and that you'd speak and that you'd move in our lives and that you'd stretch us, that you'd make us courageous and that you'd allow us to really trust you in the very particulars of our plans, of our futures and our lives, Lord. I pray that you'd speak and that you'd move in this time, Lord. Father, we ask for these things this morning through your son and by your spirit, amen. Well, as you guys are turning to Acts chapter 16, I want to kind of ask you guys a simple question this morning, and that's this. If there's any TV game show that you guys could compete on and be a part of, what would it be? Awesome. All right. Actually, I was going to confess to you guys, my first idea was Wipeout. When that show came on about four or five years ago, I was just absolutely hooked to that show. I thought it was awesome, All right. But maybe some of you guys are a little more old school. Maybe some of you guys are the Wheel of Fortune, the Jeopardy types. Uh, I'll tell you guys, I kind of went through a phase where I always wanted to be on uh, The Price is Right, all right? I always thought, um, how great would it be? I know it's Drew Carey now, but I always thought, how great would it be if Bob Barker was you know, telling me, come on down, you're the next contestant on The Price is Right? I thought that would just be through the roof awesome, all right? Um, and I also thought, too, like, what other game show has just greatness behind doors, and you just choose whichever door you want to open, right? It could be an RV, it could be a jet skis, it could be a car, it could just be awesome, right? It was your choosing any of the three doors, you just open one, and greatness awaits you, right? I thought, how great is a game show like that, where you can just open doors and find future greatness to come? As fun as it is to open doors and find great things, on the very flip side, I think for many of us, when doors close on us, it's a whole different story that doesn't really make for a good game show at all, right? That when doors in our lives close on us, when opportunities fall apart, when things don't materialize in the way that we are hoping, all of a sudden, it's not so fun, right? Right? I think in many ways, this morning we're going look at a passage in Acts chapter 16, we're going to see a passage that is all about when God changes our plans. It's all about a passage about when God closes the doors of the things that we are hoping in our lives, and the question is, how do we respond, and what is God doing? I think in the middle of those moments in a passage like this, we get a reminder that our lives are not under our control. <laughs> that, that we honestly operate by a bit of an illusion that we are in control of our lives, and so for many of us, we're planners, and you know who you are, right? That have planned out the next five years. It includes marriage, it includes graduation, it includes a job, and it even includes kids, right? You guys have gone all the way that far. And yet, for many of us, whether we are planners or not, we all, in a sense, I think, operate a bit under an illusion that we think we are in control of our lives, And when doors shut, when life doesn't go like we think, when God changes our plans, we get in a reality that comes crashing in on us that we are not in control. And the question is, how do we respond? Acts chapter 16 is going to be a story that unfolds about doors that are closed, about plans that are changed. And the great thing we're going to begin to see is that when God moves in our lives, and when God is at work in the plans in our lives, what we're going to realize is that sometimes God's plans are not clear at all. And that even when they begin to clarify and begin to crystallize to be in terms of clarity, sometimes they're still absolutely confusing as to why would God do that? And then ultimately, even when we get past that confusion, we begin to realize that often sometimes God's plans are not comfortable at all. Sometimes they're not clear. Sometimes they're not very compelling. And then frankly, oftentimes they're not very comfortable at all. But I think what Acts chapter 16 is going to show us in the midst of the things that we wrestle with is that God's plans are always better. I'll tell you guys. As I walked through college, uh, door after door closed for me romantically. All right, I've told you guys this story before, but I had so many moments where I would express to a girl, "Here, here are my intentions. I would hope to DTR determine the relationship." And instead, what would happen is door closed. All right, um, so much so, so frequently so that I uh, determined a new phrase, which was RCF, reclarify the friendship, because it kept happening over <laughs> and over and over again. All right. Um, I don't know what doors it is for you that close, all right? Uh, for some of you guys, even this spring, you may be trying to get into classes and you may be finding that the registrar is closing door in class after class after you, you begin to think that the registrar is the Antichrist, right? That they're just out to get you, right? Some of you guys are maybe looking for jobs this summer or internships this summer or camps or whatever may be this summer and you're finding things are just not coming about just yet. Maybe doors are even closing. Maybe for some of y'all, even your freshman year has been marked by the fact that there have been organizations that you applied for that said... No, I'm sorry. You know, doors closed. Plans did not work out like you thought. Maybe your freshman year was nothing like you thought as you arrived here at Texas A&M University. And the question is, what is God doing? And how do we respond to what God might be doing as he changes our plans and redirects us? That's where Acts chapter 16 is going to take us. We're going to see that same exact thing for Paul and Silas on one of their missionary journeys. And really, we're going to pick up in verse 6. And really what I think is nothing more than a divine maze, all right? Uh, if you guys will look with me, uh, God is going to direct Paul and Silas along, really what I think feels and looks and, and works out much like a maze, all right? Chapter 16, verses 6 and on. Notice Luke will tell us that Paul and Silas, they passed through the in the Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Uh, verse 6 says that they were traveling along, and they were wanting to get into Asia to declare the gospel, and yet the Spirit closed the door, forbid them from going. We don't know why. We don't know exactly what happened. We don't know if they got a voice or if there was a vision or what happened. But for however it happened, God completely shut a door on them and they were not allowed to enter in. Even for, it goes even further, verse 7, and after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia and the spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Again, how is it happening? How are they knowing this? I'm not exactly sure, but the text is clear over and over again that here they are traveling and trying to do a good thing, but God is closing one door after another. And he redirects them again and again. Finally, in verse 8, and passing by Mysia, they came to Troas in it, uh, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And we had seen the vision. Immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I think in many ways, this section it feels much like a maze for Paul, right? Paul and Silas are trying to determine what does God want them to do? Where does God want to direct them? And they are being redirected time and time again. A few years ago, Marcy and I were traveling, and we were in L.A., and and she jumped into a marathon and was running. And at one point, I was trying to pick her up from the marathon halfway through it, and I was trying to get in and around L.A. and the streets of L.A. that I didn't even know to try to pick her up halfway through the marathon, and I absolutely got way beyond frustrated, right, because they had closed road after road. They had rerouted traffic uh, uh, one moment after another moment, and for 30 minutes to an hour, I was trying to get to her, and I could not get to her, right? It was absolutely maddening, all right? To try to be getting somewhere and be redirected time and time again. So much so that I really was beginning to lose hope that I'd be able to find her, all right? At the time, Caroline was a little baby. She was getting hungry and she needed mom. And so I was trying to get sweet, hungry baby to mom, all right? And so I had to get there. If I didn't have to get there, I might have pieced out. And Marcy might still be in L.A. right now, all right? It was that frustrating, all right? I just was about ready to lose it, all right? And one of the things I want to ask you guys as you look at this story as it opens in verses 6 to 10 is, if you were Paul and Silas, what would you have done? If you were trying to seek God's will in your life and God's direction in your life, and if he led you down one route to a dead end that you got redirected to another dead end that you got redirected, then then you got a voice and a vision finally that told you to go over here. (laughs) How would you have responded? How would you have handled that? I think as I put myself in those shoes and their shoes and thinking of their situation, I found for myself and I think for you guys three primary challenges, all right? The first is this as you guys think about if you were to put yourself in their shoes, would you have been the kinds of people that would have been sensitive enough to the Lord to know that he was directing and that he was closing doors? As you guys are wrestling even in your own lives with decisions trying to determine his will, are you in a place where that you are seeking him and praying as to what he might have? I think for many of us, as we wrestle with what God may have, we may find that we're not really clear as to what he may have or where he may be leading us or his plans because frankly, we're not even praying at all, right? We may not even be really coming before him and really seeking to know exactly, hey, Lord, what is it you have? We may not see the opened and closed doors through his eyes and through his hands because we've really not sought him at all. We don't know exactly how Paul and Silas knew that the Spirit was forbidding them, but it seems from the text that they were walking sensibly enough to know that the circumstances of their life were because of the handiwork of God. And one of the first challenges I want to throw you guys as you think about the decisions you're trying to make as you wrestle with, hey, what might be the will of God in my life is this. First thing I want to challenge you guys is that y'all would be the kind of people that would be praying so as to see and hear. I think Paul was very sensitive and was walking step and step with the spirit of God. And so when God closed the door, he knew it was the handiwork of God and he knew how to interpret it and understand it. I think for you guys in the midst of decisions that you may be making, in the midst of the plans of your lives that may be changing, the question is, is it drawing you before the Lord to seek him? Where have you already pieced out? I think Paul is walking step and step with the spirit so, so much so that he could understand the circumstances of his life in such a way as what God was doing. Second thing I wanted to ask, and the second thing I thought, though, was even if I knew what God was doing, even if I was Paul and Silas walking this out in this divine maze, so to speak, that was really, could have been very frustrating. If I knew God closed the door. Would I have followed the redirection and the detour or would I have just plowed ahead because I had made a plan and I was going to hold to that plan? I think for so many of us, we may not necessarily know and be sensitive to what God may be doing. We may not see or hear those open and closed doors. But for those of us that maybe are, we see those open and closed doors. Are we the kinds of people that will hold our lives tightly and our plans tightly and not let go? Or will we hold them loosely and allow God to cause us to move us on a detour? Will we ultimately be the kinds of people that will obey and follow the detour? I think for some of us, we are planners and when we have a plan and and a change comes, we don't do very well with it. And so you and I really have a choice at that moment in time if we know what God may be doing and how he may be directing us is, do we hold to our plans no matter what comes and we plow ahead no matter what may be on the other side? Or do we trust God and take the detour and follow him no matter where he calls Honestly, for me, the third challenge I want to give you guys was the hardest for me as I thought through this. Paul and Silas are going to have two dead ends and detours, and then a third one that at a destination that they'll reach, God will finally show up and speak to them with clarity as to, hey, you guys should go over here, all right? They, in a sense, get three detours, okay? I was thinking for myself, would I have gotten to that spot? Would I have handled the first two detours, and would I have gotten to the third one when I finally could have heard what God actually clearly was finally communicating in there as he was leading? Ultimately, I I want to ask you guys, are you all the kinds of people that can persevere to that place? Um, Ultimately, uh, this past summer, our little girl Caroline had her first maze experience, okay? Uh, It was a place this summer and they had this little kid's maze and it was literally called Amazing maze, get it? Uh, amazing maze. All right, see the wordplay. All right, uh, but uh, we got to see a picture of it up top. All right, it was awesome. All right, they had like water guns, you could shoot, all kinds of stuff going on. It was crazy inside. We got inside, and she was just super excited. Right, so she just bolts off in front of me, and I'm running after her. Okay, I'm having to catch up, literally. She takes the first, uh, she hits the first dead end. All right, where she realizes she's gone the wrong way. She hangs with it. She turns and keeps going and now another way. I'm still running after her, but after the second dead end. <laughs> When she realized this wasn't going to be so easy, guess what? Things change, right? At that point, she starts going, Daddy, Daddy, hold me, hold me, and she was done, all right? So for the rest of the maze, I'm literally having to carry her and make all the decisions because she's just pieced out at that point, all right? And I think, frankly, not many of us are any bit different when it comes to our own walk with the Lord, right? <laughs> many of us will seek him and we'll pray, but then sometimes we don't get clear answers, Right? <laughs> Sometimes we get a detour and a redirection, and we hang and we hang and we hang, but we still only get great clarity with the Lord, and eventually many of us just say, you know, (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) We don't have the perseverance to hang with the Lord and to trust him, even when it's not clear, even when it's not compelling as to what he may be doing. God will finally show up and give Paul a very clear calling and a clear direction, but it doesn't come immediately, all right? And it's not exactly clear at first either. He has to hang with the Lord. And in the process, I think God is calling and drawing him to himself and really testing to see, hey, how moldable are your plans and how moldable is your life? Ultimately, Paul is going to land at this place at the end of the maze. And what's going to end up happening is that this maze will reach its end point and will open into not another maze, but ultimately a brand new frontier that ultimately what this maze will open up to is a brand new frontier and that God is going to move the gospel to a place that had never been before. Really, Acts 16 will be a pivot marker in the book of Acts, and we're going to see an expansion of the gospel and of the missionary journeys to a place that it had never been before. Look with me, if you will, verses 11, and notice what happens. And so putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading center of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, And we were staying in the city for some days. Uh, I love uh, the way that Luke will narrate this text that finally they get a vision from God is that they're supposed to head to Macedonia and so they make a straight course there, right? Uh, It kind of pictured for me, if you guys ever been uh, heading home or heading home for Christmas on Highway 6 or wherever and there's a wreck and it just backs up for 30 minutes and you're just absolutely floored frustrated, right? And then the wreck finally clears and the highway just opens. Like It's just amazing. It's like, whoa. And what do you do? accelerator down, right? Boom, floor it, right? You're ready to go. You've just been held up, pent up, and now you just go, go for it, right? And then the cop pulls you over for speeding later on, right? That's not part of the story, okay? So uh, that's exactly what Paul does, though. So he's taking three or four detours. Finally, he's got clear directions as to what God is calling him and where God is leading him, and he makes a straight course, and he just takes off, all right? And the text will tell us that he heads to Neapolis and then eventually into Macedonia and a place called Philippi. I'm going to give you guys, in a sense, as we look at the story, you're going to get an expansion. I'm going to give you guys a map, and if you can see this on the far right, really is uh, of the Mediterranean. Of course, is Jerusalem, and, and you get to arrow as it moves up north and then across and along the Mediterranean coast, and it begins to move westward. All right, and Act 16 opens in Derby, and they move to Lystra, and then the rest of our story in Act 16 is the rest of the ark moving all the way to Troas, at the very western border of Asia, across the Aegean Sea into Europe. Ultimately, what happens in Acts 16 is God has led them through a divine maze, wrestling with what, where God is trying to direct them. Eventually, what happens in Acts 16 is that God moves the gospel to a new frontier that it had never been before. It moves into Europe and it had never been there before. And if Paul hadn't hung on and listened and waited for the vision, this may never have come about in terms of being Paul's ministry. Paul prayed, he obeyed, and he persevered, and he got a clear vision and got to be a partaker and a participant in an expansion of the gospel and a movement of church history that we had never seen before. This is the first landing of the gospel into Europe as we get into Philippi. Uh, The text will tell us that Philippi was a leading center of the area of Macedonia, and so it was a strategic center. And so really, as you kind of get in the story, you're going to have, in a sense, the rest of chapter 16 is going to be three different conversion stories. The gospel will get into Europe, and as, the, as Luke will narrate the story now, and apparently Luke will move from talking about Paul as a third person to talking about we, so it seems that from the text, Luke has jumped on board to this journey now, and Luke is present as a part of this ministry that has moved into Europe, all right? And as we've moved into Europe now, the text is going to tell us that they're going to have three different conversion stories, and they could not be more different from one another, all right? Watch what happens now in verse 13, the first interaction they're going to have. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. (laughs) It's interesting. As they get into uh, Europe, as they get into Philippi, their first ministry moment really doesn't begin anything like they thought. Uh, Ultimately, they're imagining going to a synagogue, having a lot of uh, individuals to talk to. But all they find down in this riverside is a bunch of women, all right, which is not exactly what they were first planning. But notice where the story goes next. Verse 14, and a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. In many ways, the beginning of ministry in Europe does not look anything like they first imagined whatsoever. They end up with a group that's only women, all right? And they end up talking and end up interacting with a woman named Lydia, who the text, and Luke will tell us, was one who dealt with purple fabrics, which we know from commentaries was one of the most luxurious cloths in that day and time. All right. And so, really, who she is is a, frankly, is a business executive in this day and time. All right, she's a business owner. She's got a home apparently in Philippi and apparently also in Thyatira. All right, she's wealthy. She's affluent. She's from the upper class. All right, and God has prepared her to not only respond to the gospel, but eventually she responds to the gospel, and then she opens her home up to Paul and Silas and to Luke. And her home becomes not just a house church for, for Philippi, one of the first house churches in Philippi and in Europe, but it becomes the ministry operating center for the Philippian ministry period, all right? She says, hey, not only am I going to open my heart to what God is doing, but I'm going to open my home to what you guys are a part of. You guys come in, take up shop, and begin to build your ministry out of my home, all right? Ultimately, if there was a ministry moment made for TV, this is it right here, All right? Paul and Silas will have incredible faith. They'll hang with the Lord. They finally get a clear vision, a clear direction. They take off. Their first moment in ministry is amazing, all right? God brings and has prepared this woman who is incredibly affluent, incredibly able to be an influencer, and she's going to use her influence for the gospel to reach its way further and further in Philippi. She opens her home. Paul and Silas find a place to land, a place to sleep, a place to do church, and a place to begin to operate out of. You could not have a better first story in this first ministry moment in Europe as they've had great faith and as they've taken off. This is astonishing. And ultimately, I think for many, or for for God, God could have very simply told them, I told you so. (laughs) Just trust me, right? Just trust me. If you'll trust me and if you'll hang with me, I have great things in store for you. Trust me when you cannot see. Trust me when it doesn't come quickly. Hang with me because I have something great in store. My plans are always better than yours. Ultimately, I think this first conversion story in Acts 16 is a ministry moment made for TV, all right? Yet what's going to come after this, though, is not at all anything like the first conversion. Ultimately, Paul and Silas are going to go for ministry moments with corporate executives in the upper class of Philippi as they hang around in five-star hotels. Ultimately, we're going to see next they're going to be hanging out with a slave girl, and it's not going to go nearly as well as it did with Lydia, all right? And ultimately, in many ways, I think that if you were to look at what's going to happen next, it really resembles many of the cooking shows out there today, all right? I will confess to you ladies, I watched the Pioneer Woman Cook Show for the first time this past week, all right? and I wanted everything that she made. I'll be perfectly honest. It was amazing, right? Uh, but if, you guys, if any of you guys are Food Network people, if any of you guys like to watch the cooking shows, I always laugh by how absolutely unrealistic any of those shows are, right? It always starts with all the little ingredients and perfect little clear bowls that are measured perfectly, right? And then the lady just kind of dumps stuff in. It goes perfectly. She sticks it in the oven. You come back from commercial. It's perfectly baked. It's not forgotten, burnt, or anything else, right? And it goes nothing like what anything goes whenever you and I cook, right? If you, and I, if you were to come over to my house and watch me cook, is what usually happens at about 10 o'clock clock p.m. is I realize that I don't have any eggs, right? So I have to run out to the grocery store to get eggs. I come back frustrated and I realize I don't have butter. I run back out, right? But that doesn't really make for good TV. That just would be completely unmotivating for any kind of cooking show, all right? And what ends up happening, though, in the next story is something much more like that. That's way more realistic, all right? The story here with Lydia is amazing. Could have been a great moment that God said, I told you so. Just trust me. It will all work out okay. But what comes next is a little bit more concerning. Notice where the story goes next. Verse 16. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune telling. And basically, Paul in verses 17 and 18 is going to cast that spirit out of her. All right. She's likely going to come to the Lord and come into the ministry because of this. But verse 19, notice what happens. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them in the marketplace before the authorities where they were accused And when they had been brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs, which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks." The second conversion story, the second interaction with a slave girl doesn't go anything like the first one, right? Ultimately, Paul and Taliesin go operating with the upper class and hobnobbing around five-star hotels to dealing with the lower class, the slave girl, ending up in a prison cell. Incredibly diametrically changing storyline here, right? As they trusted God, as they showed up in Europe, great things were happening, and it was incredibly comfortable as well. This was turning out quite nice. And then all of a sudden it turns in just a day as they begin to interact with a new person, and all of a sudden the path and the plan and the purpose of God still seems clear now, but it's not so compelling, and it's definitely not so comfortable, right? And yet Paul and Silas' response, I think, was astonishing. We're see in verse 25 as the story goes on that they're going to respond in worship in the prison, all right? But ultimately, what I love about Paul and Silas as we walk through the storyline is that they were unchanged, whether they were with the upper class in five-star hotels or they were with the lower class in prison cells. It didn't matter who they were with. As long as they were proclaiming the gospel, they were the same people. And ultimately, God had landed them in a place where they were no longer holding their lives and their agendas with a vice grip like tightness, right? I think God had moved them to a place where they had opened their hands and they said, Lord, hey, my life is yours. (laughs) Whether I'm going to be fed or hungry, whether I'm going to be comfortable or uncomfortable, whether it's going to be good times or bad times, either way, I'm yours and you do with my life as you see fit. God had landed them with the detours and and the maze to a place ultimately where I think they trusted God and they knew that his plans were way better than theirs. And they could trust him no matter what came. I want to ask you guys, as you walk through college right now, as you're looking at the future, as you're making decisions, how tight of a grip do you have on your plans and on your agendas? How willing are you if God comes along and says, hey, I want to redirect you. I want to give you a curveball here They take you down a different path. How willing are you to follow him no matter where his path leads and whether you can even see it where it's heading or not, right? I think for so many of us, it's so hard to let go of our agendas and our lives because we think we know what's best. We do. And yet we realize that there's one who is a guide to the plans in our lives will lead us to places that is far better than anything we could hope, imagine, or plan. And that is the great challenge for you guys as y'all make decisions, and as you seek the Lord's hand, as you wait on him, as he leads and as he directs. And the question is, will you trust him to let go of your agenda and your plans? Or will you trust yourself and will you hold on as tightly as you can to what you think you know is best and is what your future should look like? One of the challenges I want to give you guys this morning is a very simple challenge, and yet it's incredibly scary, I'll tell you. One of the challenges I want to give you guys this morning is that you would simply pray one prayer this week. It's very simple, and yet it's incredibly fearful for some of you guys, and that's this. Uh, We announced that we have summer projects coming up this summer. We told you guys the deadline's in about two and a half weeks, and one of the things I want to challenge you guys to this week is simply pray this prayer. Lord, I don't know what my summer holds if you guys don't have plans yet, but I want to put my summer in your hands, and I want to ask you, what do you have for my summer? (laughs) Hey, there's this missions opportunity. I don't know what you have, and frankly, Greece, East Asia, or wherever scares the tar out of me, but... (laughs) I don't know what you have for me, and I want to put my summer before you, and I want to ask you, what do you have for my summer? Let me tell you guys, obedience and spiritual maturity is not that you guys would go on a summer mission trip or something, right? Obedience and maturity and spiritual courage is that you could take your life and you could put it before the Lord and you could say, Lord, what do you have? I got a little mock-up idea of what I think I have and what fits on paper and what looks good. But I want to ask you, Lord, hey, what is it you have? What is it you may have in store for me? Have I even given you an opportunity to dictate to me and lead me? Or am I on a default autopilot path heading where I think is best? Whether it's this summer, whether it's any decision you make, it's not just a mission trip thing. Whether it's any decision you're making, things that you're looking at, I want to challenge you to begin to build a pattern where you come before the Lord and say, Lord, hey, what is it you have? Maybe it's a purchase you want to make. Maybe it's a relationship you want to jump into. Maybe it's a decision and a job you want to jump into post-graduation. Have you come before the Lord and said, Lord, hey, this looks great on paper. My parents would love this. But ultimately, hey, what is it you have? Would you guys have the willingness and the courage to actually come before the Lord, whether it's with a mission trip like this summer, whether it's with a relationship, a purchase, whether it's with a job decision and say, Lord, hey, I think I know what I want. I think I know it even looks good on paper, but ultimately I know that your plans are better than mine. And I don't know where you may lead me, but I want to trust that your plans are always better. And I want to give you an opportunity to step in front of the wheel, move me to the passenger side of my car, which is my life. And I want you to get in the wheel and I want you to turn and I want you to direct. We like to have control and we think we live with the illusion of control, but we do not have control. (laughs) There are times that God will come and lead you guys and speak softly to you guys and there are times when you may see roadblocks and you may plow past them and land in places that you know God did not have you to be and you will learn from the school of hard knocks. And yet, if you will trust God, God will lead you down paths and will lead you to places that are far better than anything you could have dreamed or imagined. I'm sure Paul had a great idea for the places he was thinking of. I'm sure he had a great ministry plan for where it is he wanted to head, but God had something different and it was way better than anything that he dreamt of. Was it easier? It seemed like it was going to be easier but it didn't, didn't end up being any easier, right? It ended up being quite uncomfortable. And the challenge for some of us as we really let God step in the wheel is we're afraid of where he may take our lives, right? We're afraid he may take us to a place that's pretty lonely. <laughs> he may take us to a place that's pretty far away. He may take us to a job that really don't make nearly as much as we think we'd like to make. And we're afraid that he may take us to places that we're unsure of. But the reality is if he's the one taking us and we can trust that it's gonna be way better than anything that we dreamt of and we can plan. In fact, I want you guys to notice Paul and Silas' response because we're going to get, in a sense, the first rock concert of Europe. Notice what happens in verse 25, all right? But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And so Paul and Silas are sitting in the prison cells. They've gone from the five-star hotels to the prison cells because of this conversion of this lady named uh, the slave girl. And they're absolutely responding in a way that would have blown everyone away, Right? They are sitting in prison cells where they've been accused and beaten and shackled, and they are worshiping, right? One of the first clues that you know that you hold your life loosely is that in difficulty you can worship. One of the first clues that you know that you are one who lives life with not a vice grip-like tightness to your plans and your agendas is that when life changes, when God detours or redirects, you can respond in worship. It may not be initially, <laughs> It may not be right out of the bat, but eventually you can land in a place where you can praise God that maybe things did not go as you thought they should. Paul and Silas held their lives in such a way that no matter what came, they could worship and they could trust him because his plans were better. They may not have always been as clear, and maybe at times quite confusing, and oftentimes it might not have been nearly as comfortable as they would have liked things to be, but they could respond and worship because they could trust that whatever God brought was better than anything they could plan. Second thing I want you guys to see is where the story goes next. Verse twenty six, their worship leads to an earthquake. Verse twenty six, and suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were fast unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. I want to ask you guys if you guys were in the prison cell, what would you have done? Worship earthquake. Doors open, uh, shackles fall off. What would have been your immediate instinctive response? I would have bolted to save my life, right? I would have been out of there before you could have a heartbeat. I mean, I would have have been gone, right? In those moments, sometimes when our self-preservation instincts kick in it's because we're holding our lives way too tightly and in our agendas. Paul and Silas, again, that's not their first response because that which was determining their agendas and their lives was not self-preservation and self-comfort, but it was something else. And in the middle of that moment they don't just take off, but they see an opportunity, and notice what happens in verse twenty uh twenty eight. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear he fell down before Paul and Silas, and after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds, and immediately he was baptized, he and all of his household. And he brought them into his house, and he set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. Ultimately, I think for Paul and Silas, as they looked at their life, their highest agenda, that which marked and determined everything for them was the gospel. Doors open, uh, shackles fall, and the first thing they're thinking is the gospel. It's not self-preservation. One of the challenges I want to push you guys to as you look at decisions that you're making is how is the gospel a factor in that decision? Whether it's what we purchase, whether it's what we do with our summers, whether it's the job that we're going to step to. Ultimately, if the gospel determines how you act and how you respond, then you're going to have a much looser grip on your life. Because it's not about you. It's not about what's going to matter to you most. But God had moved them to a place where they could do that. I want to challenge you to begin to pray so that God can move you to a place where you could respond in the same kind of way. Be able to worship in difficulty. And even when opportunities come, that your first instinctive response isn't self-preservation or self-agendas, but it's asking and wrestling with, hey, what does God have in store for here? For me, what might God want to do? How might God use this to push the gospel forward in another country, in another occupation, in another job, in another purchase? What might that look like? How could that work? Um, some of you guys may know, I may have mentioned the story in the past before, but uh, I was uh, always blown away a, a few years ago by, uh, there's a college football quarterback who set many of the uh, uh, college football records for uh, quarterbacks that came from the University of Houston. And about seven years ago, uh, I would end up being in a seminary class with him, all right? Uh, he got drafted incredibly high in the NFL draft. And when would go in about a year or two in his NFL career, it would be a complete flame-out bust, all right? Incredible disappointment. He had all of this potential, all of this hype, all of this opportunity, all of these expectations, and for whatever reason, God closed the door on this NFL thing and redirected his path. So I sat across from him in a class of about 30 students in a seminary class, uh, wondering what in the world he was doing in my class, All right? Going, oh, I'm so sorry, right? This is where your life has come to, right? And and yet, um, (laughs) that sounded awful, right? Uh, That's kind of probably my problem, right? But ultimately, I was going, man, what what is God doing in this guy's life, right? Because on on the paper, it really does seem like, man, you had so much potential and promise, and and now what has God done with your life, right? And yet what God has done with his life is begin to take him to places and into things that he could never have imagined and never dreamed. This was not the guy's dream coming out of uh, college football career that he had and into eventually that he'd be in seminary and ministry one day. That's not at all the dream he had. And yet, God closed the door and redirected his path, and he was willing to trust the Lord, willing to listen to the Lord, and willing to walk with the Lord in and through that. So much so that for you guys, for you college guys who are considering the men's retreat, he is our men's retreat speaker. His name is David Klingler. He was an incredibly college football quarterback from the University of Houston, whose NFL career did not at all materialize like he thought. And yet, here he is, still walking with God, still trusting God, as God's taking him to things not nearly as comfortable. Not nearly as easy, not nearly the kind of glamour that would have come on paper, and yet God is doing something really significant with him. So if you college guys, i will just say, hey, Men's Retreat, great chance to hear further of his story, but he's a great example outside of the biblical text of the same biblical story that happens in our lives every single day, doesn't it? That God redirects our paths, that God closes doors of the things that we were hoping for, imagining, and even planning. And the question is, what do we do? How do we respond Will we continue to pray asking God to show us what he's doing? And when he begins to show us, will we obey him and trust him to follow him no matter where that path may lead, whether we can see the end destination of the path or not? God told Paul, I want you to head to Macedonia. As to what's going to come in Macedonia, Paul did not, or God did not tell Paul, but he trusted him and he just took off and he went. There wasn't an agenda, there wasn't fine print, there wasn't a contract that Paul signed and said, hey, if it looks like this or if this is in place, if this happens, then I'll go. But Paul said, yes, I'll go. I want to ask you guys, as you look at your plans, as you look at your future, as you look at the decisions you're making, whether it's purchases, jobs, relationships, what is the fine print as you deal with God? <laughs> what are the things you say to God, hey, I'll do this if this is true or if this happens? Or would you be willing to say, hey, Lord, I don't know what's going to come. I don't know where you may lead. I don't know what path you may have in store for me, but I'm going to trust you because your, your ways and your plans are better than mine. One of my favorite passages along these lines, and some of you guys have memorized this as well, speaking to the nation of Israel, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, give you a future and a hope. It's interesting in Jeremiah 29, and frankly, as you look at the biblical story, calamity does come in our lives sometime, right? It doesn't turn out like it's made for TV all the time. It doesn't turn out easy. It doesn't always turn out comfortable. It doesn't always turn out pain-free. But the question is, in the midst of those moments that do come, how will you respond? Will you allow those to draw you closer to the Lord so that you trust him more greatly, even, even in the pain, even in the difficulty? Or do you say, you know what, I'm out. It's one too many detours for me. It's one too many uncomfortable paths for me. I think I know better than he does. It won't always be easy, but I can promise you where he will lead and where he will take you is always better than anything you can plan or imagine. It may not be easy. It may be incredibly hard. It may be incredibly lonely. It may be incredibly far away. But if he's leading and he's directing, it's way better than plowing through any obstacle he will erect. And for you guys, you may have decisions that you're making right now, things that you're wrestling with right now. For some of you guys, you may be in a relationship, you know God has said no, no, and yet you're plowing ahead. For some of you guys, you may be making decisions about the summer and you've really not sought the Lord at all, and let me plead with you, hey, come before me and say, hey, Lord, what is it you have? For some of you guys, you may be making those decisions and you may be have you may have terms and a contract that you want to put out with God to say, hey, sure, as long as these things are true. That's <laughs> not how God works. And frankly, that's not how faith works. Faith is an adventure and a roller coaster that is absolutely scary and yet absolutely thrilling. To trust that where he will lead you cannot see, but it's way better than anything that you can envision and plan. And there are times that God will do that. There are times that God will redirect you and change your plans. And the question is, will you hold tightly like a vice grip to what you think you know is best? Or will you trust him and say, Lord, hey, here's my life. Here are my plans. I have many of them, and yet I'm going to trust you. You do with my life. You do with my plans as you see fit because you know better than I. You are the one who's the sovereign. You are the one who is king. You are the one who knows the beginning from the end. And I want to be a part of whatever it is that you have in store for my life. So what we're going to do as we close this morning is we're going to have the man come back up and I want you guys just to have an opportunity to come before the Lord in worship and just say, hey Lord, hey, here I am. Here are the decisions in my life. Here are the things that I'm wrestling with. Here are the things that I'm dealing with. Here are the fine print and the decisions that I want to make. I want to challenge you guys as you sit before the Lord, if you want to sing, sing. If you want to sit quietly before him and just do business with him, do that. However you guys want to respond this morning as we have a, a protracted time, a lengthy time just for you guys to sit and do business with the Lord. We want you guys to do it you feel comfortable to do that, all right?